Okay. Let's pray. I'll actually stand up for this. Oh, Father, I thank you for this day. And Lord, I thank you for this awesome group of young people. Lord, they planted some amazing seeds. They've done some amazing ministry in the past couple weeks. And Lord, I know you're already taking what they did and you're increasing and multiplying and, and uh, doing more with it than they could have ever done themselves. And Father, I just thank you for that. Lord, that you never waste anything that we do for you. You never waste any yes that we give to you. You, you expand it. You multiply it. You do more with it than we could have ever imagined. And Lord, I'm so grateful for that. My whole life is built on that reality. So, Father, I pray that even today as we go into your word and as we begin again to follow the journey of the Shulamite, Lord, that uh, you would you would fill our hearts with the breath of your Holy Spirit, that you would um, speak deeply to us. I pray that hardened place inside of us would be softened. Lord, today I pray especially some of the things that we hear you say over the Shulamite today are impossible for human hearts to believe. So I ask in the name of Jesus that you would do the impossible today, that we would believe the words that you speak over us, that we would receive them, and that they would radically alter our perceptions of ourselves and of who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. No, I'm not a pistachio kind of guy. You got a problem with the fact that I don't enjoy <laughs> pistachios? Okay, so I'm gr I am grateful that you made the offer, but I don't want to. I don't want to. So, okay, where have we been? So we go through, we go, you know, we have the beginning of the Song of Solomon where she says, let him kiss me with the kiss of his mouth. And that begins on this whole journey that she goes on where she is, makes the, and she makes this commitment. Let him kiss me and I want to run with you. I want, this is my life vision. I want to go after you. I want to, I want to chase you down. I want to do life with you as your eternal partner forever. And he says, yes. To that request. And he begins to take her on this journey. And then and then she immediately encounters her own brokenness, her own darkness. And she's she's pushed off by that. She doesn't understand how he could love her, and yet she would with all of the ugliness that she is. And so she, you know, she kind of walks through that moment. And then he um he encounters her and proves to her, shows her beyond the shadow of a doubt that he that he adores her, and they're in this place of bliss. And then he comes to her and he says, okay, you said you wanted to run with me, now let's go, let's run. And she begins to see him as this kind of uh, wild, uncontrollable, fiery guy that's out there, and it scares her a little bit, and so her response to him is, turn my beloved and run on the mountain. She says, no, she says, I'm not going. And when she says that, he says, okay, I will go. And he leaves because that's what she asked him to do. But very quickly, she forgets that she asked him to leave. And so she begins searching for him and she cannot find him. And she's looking for him everywhere. And then she finally gets out of her bed and she goes out into the streets and she runs into the, the uh, watchman. And immediately after she has spoken with the watchman, she finds him again. 
and they are together again, and I believe that's where we land today in Song of Solomon chapter 4. Now, we are here, this, this next section is section 7, and it's called the prophetic heart of the bridegroom God. And there's the, some things, he's going to be speaking destiny over her. He's going to be speaking realities over her that, that she does not yet understand about herself. And, and she's going to hear these things and begin to respond um, in a really powerful way. So let's just, con- let's, uh, let's, let's go. He says, how beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats that have descended from Mount Gilead. Now, please remember, this that was a really beautiful poetic thing for him to say. I mean, if anybody ever said to me, you know, any that any part of me resembled a goat in any way, I would not be a happy man. But this is still a beautiful thing. I mean, this apparently made their heart melt at the time. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Oh, really? Oh, my gosh. You know, I don't think anybody would take that as, as a compliment nowadays. But, you know, back then, this was like, you know, wow. Oh, my gosh. He said your hair is like a flock of goats. Oh, my gosh. They were just blown away by the fact that he would say something that beautiful. <laughs> but... Hear what he says. Twice he says, you are beautiful. How beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves. Again, he talks about this reality, the fact that she is single-minded in her in, in her pursuit of him, that, that he recognizes the stir of desire on the inside of the, of the bride, and, and it moves him, and he loves that. And I want you to be able to hear there's, there's multiple things. There's multiple things in these next couple chapters that we're going to be walking through that the bridegroom says over the bride that are are pretty mind-blowingly amazing. I mean, the way that he feels about us. And I cannot I can't pray hard enough that God would open up our our hearts to be able to believe that he thinks about us this way, to be able to believe that he feels this way about us. It is not an easy thing to do. Your teeth are like a flock of newly shorn ewes which have come up from their washing, all of which bear twins. Now remember, this is days before dental work. So for a woman to have all of her teeth is a really, really amazing thing. I I know that this is like, what? This is not romantic. No, it's totally, he loves her teeth, okay? They didn't, they didn't have, I mean, they would clean, they would, yes, they would clean their teeth, you know, whatever, but like not, I mean, they didn't go to the dentist. They didn't, you know, and so they didn't have any idea about dental hygiene whatsoever. None. They had no clue. Right. I know. Isn't it beautiful to be alive in this day and age? (laughs) Exactly. What does it mean? I mean, I know you. That, um, that it means they're white. Sure. Yeah, because okay. because before they you know when a, when a sheep's uh, uh, it's not fur wool is long, it's dirty. Yeah. Um, when it's been shorn, it's it, and he says newly shorn, so that means they're white, <laughs> is what he's talking about. And he said they've just so not only are they newly shorn, but they've just come up from the washing, so they're pearly white teeth and she has all of them all which bear twins so they, they each one they, 
they she has all her teeth, which is pretty amazing. Not one of them has lost her young. Isn't that beautiful that she has all her teeth? Your your lips are like a scarlet thread and your mouth is lovely. Your temples are like a slice of pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David, but with rows of stones on which is hung a thousand shields all around the shields of the mighty man. Your two breasts are like twin fawns, twins of a gazelle, which feed among the lilies. You can't giggle about this. I'm not, it's no point in giggling. There are Bible verses that say, let the breasts of your wife uh, satisfy you forever. Okay, so I just, you know, this is, this, this is a married couple. Now, all, all of these, yes, exactly. I, this isn't a junior high class, you know, I mean, if I say breasts, I shouldn't have everybody going, you know, that's not, okay. Okay. Twins of a gazelle which feed among the lilies. Okay. So, now some of these things may have prophetic meaning, like some of these different pictures. I'm not going to go into them right now. The, the idea here is the point, okay? The, the, the big idea is that he is familiar with everything about her and he enjoys every part of who she is, okay? He knows her completely and yet he enjoys her. Is there a more astounding thing to think about that God knows every single part of you and yet he enjoys you completely? He knows my every thought. He knows my every action. He knows everything I've ever done or I will ever do. He knows every thought I've ever thought. He knows every word I've ever spoken. He knows everything I have ever done. He knows everything I will ever do. And yet, he enjoys me. That that is astounding, folks. Do you not know yourselves? When you think about yourself for five minutes, I mean, I if I don't have enough sugar in my system, I I become a jerk. You know what I mean? Like if I haven't eaten for a while, the hangry monster comes out. You know, it's just like "Ah!" you know. Or if I'm just tired and my kids are like come up and they just annoy me, I'm like, get out of here before I rip your face off. You know what I mean? I, I. I, I am a human being thoroughly through and through, and so is every person in this room. And there, there are darknesses about you. And this state, he is describing her exactly. He knows every part of who she is. He is familiar with all of her. And he's, he says, and I love all of you. Do you understand that? I always, uh, you know, I kind of always feel like, that, that, oh, God likes, God likes this part of me and God likes that part of me, but the rest of me he just tolerates. And that is, that is a lie. God enjoys me. The Lord enjoys who you are. He loves you. And he smile. he sees all of you and he loves you completely. He's delighted by all that you are. Do not forget that every facet of your personality was created by him on purpose. God made you as you are on purpose. Now, has the enemy taken some of the pieces of who you are and twisted them to his own ends at different times? Absolutely. Absolutely he has. But God says, I do not regret making you as you are. I adore who you are, every bit of who you are. And that's what he's saying over her. 
It says, this, this is my beloved. And I love everything about her. When I think about, I, when I'm talking to a couple who is talking about getting married, I will spend a few minutes with them. I will talk to their friends. I will get, and, and in the first few times that I talk to them, I will usually try, if I know them, especially if I know them well, I will try and talk to them separately. And I will do everything I can to just blow up that relationship completely. Like, you know, I noticed this about her. Is that a, I mean, that kind of sucks, right? I mean, you know, like, <laughs> now you're going, maybe I don't want you to marry me. <laughs> Are you, do you really do that? Oh, I do. Oh, I do. I, I throw as many questions into the process as possible, and, I, and I'm constantly just kind of, I, I'm dead serious. And this is only like the first couple times that we meet. Because what I want them to do, what you need to understand is that once you're married, you should not go into marriage thinking you're going to change the person that you marry. Well, there is this about them, but I don't, I, we'll fix that. <laughs> you know, okay? And I've heard those kind of conversations over and over again. Well, once we're married, maybe we can. No. You are marrying them as they are. If you don't want them who they are, then you don't want them. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I all and that's what I do. I try and pull out all of the stuff. And, and just because people who are in love are completely blind to one another. And I'll just I'll just point something out. And pull it out. And a lot of times people are offended at me. How dare you say that about her? And I'm going, you're telling me you've never thought of that? And he's like, whoa. Now, I'm not talking about like physical attributes. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about personality stuff. Because, okay, understand, physical attributes, are they're going to change. You're going to be married to someone for the rest of your life. So the way they look now is not the way they're going to look even in 10 years, let alone 30. Okay? So we're not talking about that. All right? We're, we're not even. I mean, that's stupid. I wouldn't talk about that. But stuff... Their personality, their family, their the stuff that is going to drive this person crazy for the rest of their lives. I pull it out and I just say, this is who they are. If you're not ready to marry this, then you're not ready to marry her or him. I'm going to say, before we talk again, I want you to honestly think about the fact that right now you have a choice to marry this person or not. But after you walk away from that altar, you are together forever, better or worse. Okay? Let me help you understand something, folks. Jesus did that calculation. Jesus looked at you inside and out, upside and down, and he still chose to make you his bride. That's massive. When we really understand that, then we can be free. We can say, you know, oh, you mean Jesus actually, he likes who I am. Yes, he does. He does. He adores you. Verse 6. Until the cool of the day, when the shadows flee away, I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh. 
and the hill of frankincense. The Lord comes to enjoy to enjoy us. He spends time thinking about us. He cherishes the time we spend together. Now understand this. He says, the mountain of myrrh is symbolic of uh, difficulty, struggle, hard times. It's a bitter fragrance. It's, it's a beautiful fragrance, but it's a bitter fragrance. And frankincense is symbolic of rejoicing and joy. Okay, So in both our bad times and our good times, he adores us and we bring him joy. He is committed to encounter us in every moment of our lives and to stay in that place of encounter as often and as long as we need him there. God is saying, you're dark and you're light. I want all of you. You're mine. And as we walk through this life together, there's going to be hard times for you and there's going to be joyful times for you. And I want to be your companion in them all. He's committing to stay with us even when we barely are able to believe. And he's committing to stay with us when we're absolutely overjoyed that we belong to him. And he's committing to use those moments to bring us closer. Listen to this next line. This next line. You are all together beautiful. There is no blemish in you. He is saying that to her. Jesus is saying that over you. He might be thinking, uh, I beg to differ. There are a lot of blemishes. Have you seen? And he says, no. You are altogether beautiful. There is no blemish in you. What? Yes, there is. Do you not see this? Do you not see that? Do you not see this? And the Lord is going, I see it, but that's going away. Who you are is absolutely beautiful. Those things don't define you. You're not defined by your struggle. You're refined by your struggle. You don't become less of who you are because you walk through difficult times and you make mistakes. God uses those flames to burn away all of the things that are there that aren't really you so that the full you... Is, is absolutely pure. Who he created you to be comes shining through. When I read this verse, I simply don't believe it. My heart rejects it out of hand that God would say this to me because I know me. I just, ah, whatever. But he's saying it, it's here. He's speaking of how he sees us, and he's not deluded. He sees all of us, the end and the beginning, and all of it in between, and he loves the journey we're on. There's, there's, there's some pieces to this. One, he loves the journey we're on. Okay? He loves that we are on our way toward him. He, he adores that. And when God sees that little yes 
in our heart, how, no matter how tiny it is, he does a, a jig of joy uh, over, that, over that tiny little yes that's on the inside of us. We don't understand. We don't believe. We barely, barely able to give it to him, but there's a tiny little yes. And he says that and says, that's all I wanted. It's because he just wants this, that tiny little yes. We have all of this junk to, to swim through of our own just filth all around us. We've got all this stuff to swim through. But he's going, if you give me that yes, I used to say to a youth group all the time, if you don't quit, you win. Because that's the truth with Jesus. If we just have this tiny little yes, even though it's infinitesimally small and we can barely feel it ourselves, Jesus is like, I am in 100%. If you're in at all, I'm in. It's like, you know, on Dumb and Dumber, when he's, when she's like, man, he's like, I don't, there's no chance at all. And she's like, maybe one in a million. He's like, so you're saying I have a chance. You know, Jesus is like, I see that tiny little glimmer of yes. And I'm sticking around because he loves the journey we're on. He loves the yes that we're giving him now. He takes it. He receives it. He accepts it. And this is the most important part. He knows his own power and ability to bring us through to the end. Two verses for you. Jude one twenty four. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. See, not only does Jesus see the yes in our heart, but he is confident that he is so powerful that he can keep that little flame burning until he brings us out. I think it's Isaiah 42 says that Jesus will not, a bruised reed he will not break, and a, a flickering candle he won't snuff out. He sees that tiny little yes, and he says, I, I can bring that through. I can bring that through anything. He's confident in his own strength and ability to bring us to the, to become all he created us to be. Colossians 1.22. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Above reproach means nobody can bring an accusation against us. At the end of the day, when we stand before the throne, no one will be able to bring accusation against us. No one. Oh, that's just good. Holy, blameless, and above reproach. That's what he's up to. It's the now and the not yet in one verse, and we're made perfect now and kept moving forward until the end. Something you've got to understand, and I don't know how much we talked about this this year, but when you came to Christ, all your sin from the very moment you were conceived until the very until the moment that you go home to be with him all of it was seen by Jesus and forgiven by Jesus past present and future sin gone in that moment he didn't see you as a well i think you might be able to make it so maybe i'll let you in no it's not like that he has made us holy period how many of you were in in uh, uh, Bible quiz? Justification. What does it mean? 
Say it again. And it's just as if I never sinned. Jesus complete he made us you are holy right now the bible says you are seated with christ in heavenly places you are hidden with christ in god you are already already in heaven in this moment because of what jesus did for you on the cross that's done that was finished the moment that we became saved but then we began this journey because God resurrected our dead spirits, but our soul and our physical body, have our, the salvation of those have not been completed. So through the word of God and through the influence of the Holy Spirit, our soul is being, you know, it's, did, did we talk about the resurrection bomb in here? Where resurrection began on the inside of us the minute that we got saved, and it's moving outward through us, through our souls, and eventually it will our soul will be completely made holy and resurrected and our flesh itself will be resurrected and made holy. Resurrection began in our spirits and has moved and is moving outward since then. Now the rate at which it moves outward, that's what depends on your cooperation. If you lean into the work of the Holy Spirit that's going on in the inside of you, that the rate of the outward move of the resurrection power will con will increase. You will become more like Jesus a lot faster if you cooperate with him. If you fight with him, that rate slows way down. And you can shut this thing down. I believe that with all my heart, but we're not going to go there. Verse 8. He calls to her again. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. May you come with me from Lebanon. Journey down from the summit of Amana, from the summit of Sinir and Hermon, from the dens of lions, from the mountains of leopards. Okay, this is, he's calling her again. Remember when he called her last time? Come leap on the mountains with me. And she's like, that's okay. So he's calling her again. We're back to that place where he's calling her again. The call of the bridegroom to adventure, to move forward into all that she's destined for. But this time, in before he, before that call gets answered, he moves to the. He begins to speak about his heart over her, and this next verse, verse nine. This is the verse that I go to when I feel the least, when I do not feel loved by God. I go to this verse and I just I just sit in it until my soul changes. I sit in it until the Holy Spirit has finally done his job of cutting the cancer out of my soul, of all the lies of the enemy, and finally the voice of Jesus can resound inside of me. He says, you have made my heart beat faster. Do you understand? He says, you've made my heart beat faster with a single glance of your eye, with a single strand of your necklace. Do you understand what is being said in this verse? We move the emotions of the uncreated God. You move the emotions. You make his heart move. Do you understand this? Oh, you gotta get this. If you understood this, you'd be like bouncing off the ceiling, just going, oh my gosh, because it's unbelievable. It's beyond us. Ah! You, you, I, my face, my voice, his heart moves when I speak. Do you get this? 
do you understand? We have affected him. He does not change. And yet we move his heart. Oh my gosh. It is so unbelievable. You have made my heart beat faster. Oh, oh, oh. I affect him. Oh, my, most of my life, most of the time, I feel like I'm just kind of talking to the ceiling and there's some angel that just takes dictation of my prayers and then takes them up and puts them in the file cabinet. And, you know, and then it's just this big bureaucracy in heaven and God's just like, oh, whatever, just give them whatever they want. Jeez, what am I? Why do they got to keep talking to me? You know what I'm talking about? It's, you know, no. No. We shift him I really hate being around newlyweds and or people that are new and newly in love it is just gross it, it just does doesn't it because when when she walks in the room all of a sudden he goes Ooh, right? Like his whole being just, just like, there she is. You know what I mean? Like, and, and you know that when he knows she's coming, this is how he is the whole time, right? He's on the edge of his seat going, like looking at the door. <laughs> looking at his phone, looking at the door, looking at his phone, looking at the door. And you're like, dude, she'll be here eventually. It's going to be okay. And he's like, he's like, what, what? Oh, I'm sorry. What were we talking about? <laughs> right? That's how they are. It's just gross. Guys or like girls? Both. But girls are, girls are, it's a whole nother thing. That's, that, I'm thinking, this is guys. Okay. Girls are a whole nother ball of wax. I don't even know how to describe them because I, I can't go there. It's just, it's a completely different thing. You know, when he's coming, they're primping, they're looking in the mirror, they're going, oh my gosh. And it's like, Do I look okay? Is this what this? I don't know. You know, you know, the other thing is the, 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 you know, when, when someone is newly engaged and all of a sudden they're floating down the hallways by like dragged by their engagement ring. <laughs> okay. Oh, I can't stand it. It's, it's just ridiculous. And you're just like, Oh my gosh. And they, every conversation is my boyfriend said this, my boyfriend said that my girlfriend said this, my girlfriend said, my wife said this, my husband said that. And you're just like, we know you're married now. <laughs> okay. But that, isn't that what he sounds like here? There's thrill in his voice. There's thrill in his heart and in his eyes. He's, he's excited. Oh, she makes my heart beat faster. Oh, I know. I think it's amazing. I think when, when I think of Jesus, the creator of all of the universe, mooning and slobbering over us. I mean, what in the world are you talking about? And we have not even seen the, the, mo the most of it because now he begins to describe her. Again, you've made my heart beat faster. 
one glance of your eyes has made my heart beat faster. We're not talking about, this isn't Jesus saying, you know, when you fast for 40 days, that really does something to me. No, this is Jesus <laughs> saying one glance of your eye. One glance. I'm always amazed by, you know, when like when one person likes another, but they haven't, you know, that conversation hasn't happened. That they're analyzing every microsecond of that person's behavior when they're in their presence. You know what I'm talking about? Like, did you see that look he gave me? What do you think that meant? <laughs> when, when I walked in the room, they, he didn't smile. You know? When he doesn't even know she's there, like, he's just mad because, like, you know, he broke the screen on his iPhone or something. And, and, and she walks in, she's like, he didn't light up when I saw him. And she feels completely rejected, and he has no clue, you know. And and oh man, I hate it. I hate when boys okay. do that. But <laughs> <laughs> when boys do it, it's really bad. Yeah. Boys do that, though. By the way, yes. whether you know it or not, boys do actually do it. It's just different, you know. When they're doing something to try and impress you, and and you're not noticing at all, and he's like. <laughs> Anyway, I'm going to go ahead and go over there. Over there. <laughs> okay. Right? Okay. But he says, he says, just a glance. You know, it's that song. It's like, just one look. And it feels so hard. You know what I'm talking about? That's Jesus. He's like, one one glance and you've got me. You had me at hello. Right? He's like, he's like, can I quote Jerry Maguire in a sermon? I don't know. But anyway, he's, he's you know, it's like, it's, he's, he's, on, this isn't when you do these gigantic things. It's one look. And you've moved me. That's astounding to me. That Jesus is constantly, always, every day, all the time, waiting for my attention. I remember when I was first learning how to pray, and I was first learning how to have a personal relationship with God where it was where where I talked to him and I heard him talk back to me. I would pray every day after school. That was my, that's what I did. As soon as I got home, I was the only one home because my school let out earlier than my sister's. And I would have a good 45 minutes with nobody else in the house. And, and I would go up to my room and I would just, and I would pray. And I was this, that time in my life is one of the sweetest times of my whole life when it comes to prayer. Because he would meet me in such power, just sweet, delicious ways. Like it was so Oh, it was just wonderful. And I and and I still have that kind of relationship with him now, but it was just brand new and I had never seen or experienced this in my life. And it was like, oh. and there was this one day when as I'm walking from the from the bus stop, this is when I was in junior high, and I, as I'm walking from the bus stop, I all I could think about was I can't wait to get to my bedroom and talk to Jesus. Like that's what was going on in my in my head and in my heart. Like I was so ready, so excited to get there and to have this conversation with him, to open up my Bible and to hear him speak to me. And when I opened the front, I will never forget this. When I opened the front door, the presence of Jesus was like, like pouring out of the front door. Like, 
Like when you open the door after someone's taken a really hot shower and steam comes pouring out. That's what it felt like. Like I opened the door and was like, and I was like, and I remember like stepping inside and closing the door and just kind of step like leaning up against the back of the door. And the Holy Spirit said this to me so sweetly. He said, oh, I couldn't wait for you to get home. And I was just like, you know, and I was just like, I'm coming right now. You know, it's just like, and I didn't even get a snack or anything. I was just like, right up into my bed and just opened the Bible and started weeping and just talking to him. It was so beautiful. Understand, Jesus is waiting for your attention. He's just, he's looking at you and he's saying, when will I get a glance? We sing these stupid songs about, come down, come down. And God's going, I'm right here. (laughs) I understand what's behind those songs. I really do. But I just want to throw them all away because we don't understand that the distance is, it's our distance. It's not his distance. The distance is ours. We put it there. We maintain it. And if we would just, Get rid of it. He would come flooding in and we wouldn't know what to do with the presence of God that came in. We wouldn't know what to do. How beautiful, verse 10, how beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than all kinds of spices. He's naming the things that all things that are enjoyable. And he says, and you're better. Everything I can think of that's enjoyable, everything I can think of that, 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 that can be enjoyed, the, the most amazing fragrances. The Bible talks about wine making the heart of man glad. And, 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 and he's saying, all of that is nothing. I want to spend time with you. All enjoyable things pale in comparison to spending time with you. 11, your lips, my bride, drip honey. Honey and milk are under your tongue. And the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. He's talking about the fruit of our lips. Songs, prayers, they're sweet and refreshing to him. Lebanon had was full of cedar trees. If you've ever smelled the... Uh, cedar, it is this wonderfully refreshing fragrance. And he says, yeah, hearing from you is, is refreshing to me. It's enjoyable. Have you ever had the person that walked into the room and you're like, oh God, just kind of roll your eyes. You're like, I didn't just, please don't say anything for the love of Pete. Right. But have you ever had somebody that whenever you see them, like, they just give life to your spirit. That you're like, I just really, you're just cool. Like, I just want to spend time with you. Like, you know what I mean? Have you ever had that person that just being with them, like, just up, just lifts you up? That's what he's saying of us. It's you're refreshing to me. It's that you're you're pine fresh, my darling. <laughs> A garden locked is my sister, my bride, a rock garden locked and a spring sealed up. She's for him and she's for him only. This is one of the things that he loves most about her. 
That's why he keeps talking about her eyes being like doves, because she's his. And all of her delights belong to him and him only. You're a garden with a big lock on it, and I'm the only one with a key. I'm the only one that can come in. I'm the only one that can spend time enjoying you. One of the things that I love about the First Year Master's Commission is that you belong to him. There's a reason you're not allowed to date during that year. They want your heart sold out completely to Jesus for just a short amount of time. Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits, henna and nard plants, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with the trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, along with all the fine, finest spices. You are a garden spring, a well of fresh water, and streams flowing from Lebanon. The, he, she is incredibly delightful to and in a variety of ways. All the things that he mentioned there, they're all fragrant. They're all, they all smell really good. They all are a sensory enjoyment for him. Verse 16 is the bride. Awake, O north wind, and come, wind of the south. Make my garden breathe out fragrance. Let its spices be wafted abroad. May my beloved come into his garden and eat its choice fruits. There's two things going on here. Okay. One, she's calling to the wind. She's the Holy Spirit. He's the breath of God. The word spirit in Greek is pneuma, means breath or breeze. And she's calling to him. And she's calling to him to... Take the fragrance of her worship, the fragrance of her adoration of Christ, the fragrance of who she is, and take it to Jesus and draw him close to her. Does this make sense? It'd be like if you wanted to call my kids downstairs, just start cooking, uh, you know, chocolate chip cookies in the oven, and the fragrance will we'll waft up the stairs and all of a sudden you'll have redheads everywhere in the kitchen. <laughs> what is going on? You know, it's all that has to happen. My son, like my Isaac will will they'll go to bed or whatever and then Rachel and I will like go get food somewhere after the kids go to bed because we don't want to pay for their food. And we already we already fed them something else. And so I'm like, you know, I'll be like I really want a hamburger or something. She'll be like, okay, so, and then like we'll bring in, and Isaac invariably will wake up and come downstairs and go, I smell fries. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's what happens when you're 14, I suppose. But he just he just comes down the stairs. I smell fries. I think about I think about uh, cartoons where the you see the cloud of fragrance go, and then it like picks somebody up by the nose, and they kind of hover over to where the, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. That's what she's asking for. Because he just told her all the spices of your garden, all the things that, of who you are, every part of who you are is attractive and delightful to me. So, he's, so she is saying, 
Holy Spirit, take this fragrance that he enjoys and draw him near to me. She's asking for more of him. This is again the cry, let him kiss me. It's that same thing. I want him. Okay? And after he's gotten done saying all these beautiful things about her, of course she does. Because she believes him. But she's saying more than that because she names two kinds of wind. She names the north wind and the south wind. Okay? And she's saying... The, the north wind, it's, it's, it's like that, it's, it's that myrrh and frankincense thing again. Suffering and rejoicing. And she's saying, Holy Spirit, no matter what comes, no matter where you take me, let the fragrance of my life in that place be pleasing to my King. Whether I'm walking through a place of suffering or I'm walking through a place of rejoicing, let the fragrance of my life in that place be pleasing to him. Does that make sense? Holy Spirit, no matter what I'm walking through, let him always enjoy what he smells coming from me. It's a promise that no matter what, she belongs to him and he's welcome with her. A statement of understanding and trust that no matter what we're going through, that she will be enjoyed. I'm kind of flipping it back around, but it's true. That even in the midst of our hard times, she believes that on the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense, no matter what, he is going to enjoy me. No matter if I'm having a difficult time or I'm having an amazing time, Jesus is in this for the long haul. He's going to find, he's going to find me appealing and enjoyable no matter what I'm walking through. And not only that, but he will use all the circumstances of my life to make himself known to me and bring me closer to him and make me more fruitful than I am. She's receiving this love language that he's speaking over her, and out of it, out of her is coming trust. If you really feel that way about me, then I trust you. My favorite thing about marriage, my absolute favorite thing, about being married is that I know that we're together for the rest of our lives. That our connection, my connection to my wife, is not breakable. And it doesn't matter how I feel today or what circumstances we're going through. It doesn't matter what changes about me or what changes about her. We're in. I'm in for the long haul, and that's the way it's going to be. That's the promise that we made to each other. No matter what takes place, this connection will not be severed. I honestly believe that's true. And I know 
that whatever, more than half of marriages end in divorce. You know that. And that happens. It just does. But as far as it's up to me, that's not going to happen with us. And I have that same promise from her, and I actually trust that that's true. I have to. That's what you do in marriage. And this is her, us, saying to Jesus, if you, I honestly believe that you enjoy me, and I honestly believe that no matter what situation my life is going through, you will continue to enjoy me. trust you. He responds to that. I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I have gathered my myrrh and my bit and my balsam. I have eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. Eat friends, drink and imbibe deeply, O lovers, says their friends. She says, draw me near. He says, here I am. And the friends say, close the curtains, because we don't need to see this next book. But they're also, this is kind of a warning. She is being encouraged to enjoy this time, because it's not going to continue forever. All right, chapter five. How's everybody doing? Doing okay? That's on the podcast. Hey, that was a, that was <laughs> a <little work. laughs> I'm really proud of you. All right. Here we go. Verse 2. I was asleep, but my heart was awake. A voice, my beloved, is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is drenched with dew, my locks with the damp of the night. He says, let me in. All of a sudden, he's outside. We don't really know why. And he's saying, let me in. Let me in. You all right over there? He's saying, what's going on? Did you Oh. Okay. He's saying, let me in. And she says, check this out. She says, I was asleep, but my heart was awake. That's a fascinating. What do you think that means? I was asleep, but my heart was awake. What? I'm asking, what do you think it means? I think it means like their heart wants to know it, but they don't actually know it. Absolutely. She finds this lethargy about her. But but inside, like there's a there's a big part of her that wants to be up and awake and with him, but but she's not. 
She's not. In these next few verses, we kind of find her in that place of, I want to be with him. She wants to get up. She wants to get out of bed. She wants to go over there and open the door and allow him to come in. But she finds herself unable to do so. Okay, I'm asleep, but my heart was awake. My voice, my beloved is knocking. He's, he's, he's speaking to me through the door. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my love, my perfect one. For my head is drenched with dew, my locks with the depth of the night. He's going, I, am, I, I don't want to be out here right now. Let me in. And she says to him, I've taken off my dress. How can I put it on again? I've washed my feet. How can I dirty them again? She's like, I'm, I'm, I'm already tucked in bed. I don't want to get out. <laughs> right? She's, she's like, let yourself in. <laughs> <laughs> She's not prepared for him. Remember, part of her wants to get up and, 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 and answer the door and let him in, but, but she's finding all these excuses why not to. She's like, but, 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 but. Verse 4, my beloved extended his hand through the opening, and my feelings were aroused for him. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, oh my gosh. Okay, now I'm getting up. Okay, because he's, he's reached through. I love this because... Uh, the, what this actually means when, when, when it says, when she says, uh, my beloved extended his hand through the opening, it's talking about the way that they built doors and locks back then. And he's literally picking the lock, trying to get in. Um, I'll read this from Barnes. Yes, exactly. But she, he just broke his last lock pick. Oh no. And he doesn't have... He doesn't have the skeleton key, and sorry. That's just too bad. It just hurts, doesn't it? Okay. He's picking the lock of her heart. Barnes put it this way. He put in his hand through, literally from the hole of the lock, in order to raise the pins by which the bolt was fastened. The oriental lock is a hollow piece of wood attached to the doorpost into which a sliding bolt is made to run. As soon as the bolt has been driven home, a number of pins drop into holes prepared in it for their reception to raise these pins and so enable the bolt to be withdrawn like that is to unfasten the lock. This is commonly done by means of the key, literally the opener, but many often, uh, but may often be accompanied by the fingers. If dipped in paste or some other adhesive substance, or it may, may be accomplished by the fingers, if dipped in paste or, or other adhesive substance for such a purpose, the beloved inserts his fingers here anointed with costly, ungent and which he presently distill on on those of the bride when she rises to open for him so here's what's happening he has to he has to uh in order to make this kind of lock open you would have to like put glue on your fingers and then kind of to get the the tumblers that fall into place to stick when you you can hold them up but you have to be able to put them up and then and then open the lock well, so he has this stuff on his fingers, which is the next thing. I rose to open for my beloved. Okay, so here's what's happening. Not only she's having trouble coming to the door, but he is so desirous of her in this moment that he's trying to pick the lock to the door to get in. But he's not able to do it. Yes, but apparently he got outside somehow. I don't know what's well, that's his own stupid fault. <laughs> okay. He left... For whatever reason, and she locked the door. <laughs> well, then he deserves it. He had to leave. We can't be mad at him for leaving. This is Jesus. He gets to do what he wants. 
His calling stirs. If I left my bedroom and my wife locks the door to my bedroom, I would not be happy. Okay, I mean, I would be like banging on the door. What are you doing? Let me in. Okay. Maybe he went out to get something for her. Maybe she was like, I really like She's like, I'll be right back, sweetie. And then he walks out, and she locks the door and goes to sleep. Or some fireworks, because she got cold. We don't know what happened. We All we know is she's asleep on the bed, and he's outside the door. And this is not how he wants it to be. Okay. I rose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. So this is, she's she can tell that he's been trying to pick lock because there's this stuff that he's been using to try and stick the things up. So she awakes, she gets up and moves, and she encounters the very thing that he tried to use to get to her. And because of it, opening the door to him is harder than it was before. Understand this, okay? There are moments in your life where the Holy Spirit is being loud. There's moments where he shouts, and there's moments where he whispers. Okay? And those moments where he is shouting, where it is undoubtable that I am hearing the voice of God. You need to respond to him in that moment. The Bible says, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Okay? It says to, actually, it says, today, if you, do, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. He was calling to her. He was picking the lock of the door. He was saying, get over here. I let me in right now. And she was just being sluggish and slow and making excuses and did not let him in. And so he finally goes. He finally leaves because she's not responding to him. And when she gets to finally to the place where she wants to open the door to him, not only is he gone, but she's having trouble opening the door at all. Because when the Holy Spirit shouts and we ignore him, it becomes twice as hard to hear him the next time. You need to pay attention to this. When God is making things extremely clear to you, be quick to obey, quick to follow, quick to step into obedience, because if you make excuses, if you are sluggish and you're not prepared to, to obey his voice, if you are... are fumbling around, trying to figure out if you are in that place, if you are unable to respond to him for some reason, it will be harder to respond to him later than it is right now. That's why beyond the shadow of a doubt, if I sense any kind of, of nudge, any, even the tiniest little like, go do this. I, I have made it my life's goal to every time I feel anything from him that I respond because I don't want to end up in this situation. I don't want to end up where she is. I don't want to end up in this place where now he's gone and I can't even open the door to go after him. I, I, I don't want to end up in that place. Let me, be, let me give you a, an example from my life. Okay, When uh, my wife and I first got married, um, actually it was before we got married, we needed to buy luggage for the honeymoon, okay? And I was like, 
you know, oh, I hadn't even thought about that. I was like, well, I'll just borrow luggage from, you know, our parents or something. And she was like, no, we need to buy luggage. My wife was, and I'm not going to, when you hear this story, I don't want you to think that I'm angry with my wife about this because this is on me. And we went to the store and we found some luggage or whatever. And she says, well, we'll just take out a store credit card to buy the luggage. It's not very much money, but it's more than, you know, and that's what we'll do. And I had a check in my spirit that we should not do that. Um, and I like, I said, I don't know. I don't know if I want to, to, to do that. And it wasn't a check about buying the luggage. It was a check about doing it on credit. And I said, why don't we just, let's just borrow luggage. And she, but I, she's like, no, we're going to need luggage. And I'm like, well, that's true. And I, and, and I, I just, I said, all right, fine. I just ignored that check from the Holy Spirit. Well, this became a pattern in our life to the point where a couple years down the road, we were absolutely up to our eyeballs in credit card debt because we hadn't been careful. And I put that on me because I said no to the check in my spirit the very first time. After that, it was just easier to say yes every time. Because once you've said no to the Holy Spirit, it's really easy to ignore him again a second time and a third time and a fourth time. So you are completely lost in a pattern of sin that you never thought you would ever get to. But it was the million and one yeses that you gave to sin up until that moment that it brought you to this place. It wasn't the final thing. You know, people talk about how you do, how you get lost in, in an extramarital affair. And most of the time it starts by you're having a fight with your spouse or there's something with that's that's in the in the marriage relationship that's not quite going the way that it should. He's not hearing her. She's not respecting him. Something. There's some there's some flaw. But instead of fixing the flaw, they go and complain about it to someone of the opposite sex who gives them attention. And it starts off as just a friendship, you know? Well, I just talked to him about this or whatever. We're just good friends. But that friendship becomes more and more intimate over time until all of a sudden it's gone a step or two steps too far where now I have feelings for this person. Now, I it, it's I, and I'm not when I say a step or two steps too far, I'm not talking about a kiss or no, I'm talking about now I have romantic feelings for this person. And they don't know what to do with it. They enjoy the romantic feelings they have for this person. They're not necessarily feeling that for their spouse. Maybe a little bit, but this is new and exciting and different. And we haven't done anything yet, so it's not a big deal. And so they just keep saying yes in little tiny, tiny, tiny fractions. Oh, well, I'm, you know... And then it's okay for you guys to have coffee together. And then it's okay for you to ride in the same car at the same time. And then it's okay for me to hold her hand. We haven't really done anything yet. And then it's okay that you kiss. Well, we haven't really cheated yet. And then, and then all of a sudden, I'm in love with her. I'm no longer in love with you. And I'm spending my life with this person. And that marriage breaks. Why? Because of the tiny little yeses you gave to sin along the way. The tiny little ways you ignored the warnings of the Holy Spirit along the way. You know, when my, 
when, when I'm talking to my kids, I don't start by going, get away from there, right? That's not how I start. I start, and I don't start with a spanking. I start with, don't go over there. And then I'll call their name, Ian. Don't go over there. Ian Michael, don't go over there. Ian, <laughs> don't go over there. Ian, look at me. <laughs> don't go over there. Ian, if you go over there one more time, I'm going to spank you. <laughs> Did it start with Ian, if you go over there, I'm going to spank you? No, because why? it doesn't need to. If he would have heard me at, don't go over there. He never would have gotten in trouble. I wouldn't have gotten mad. He wouldn't have gotten upset. Nobody would have gotten spanked. And this would all have been better, but they never do. <laughs> and it's the same thing with us and the Lord. His first thing is, Josh, it's just a tiny little check. It's just a nod from the Holy Spirit. Hey, don't do that. And you're like, did I really hear that? I think it was pizza. And you just keep walking. <laughs> Was that me or was that the Holy Spirit? The next time he's like, Josh, seriously, don't do it. Well, a few miles down the road, he has a good friend come to you and say, I'm worried about you. And you ignore him again because that's what we do. And that's what she's done. And now it is nearly impossible for her to actually open the door and go to him because behavior late, it's harder than behavior on time. But it's not as scary. So, she finally is able to get out. Verse 7, the watchmen who made the rounds in the city found me. They struck me. What? They wounded me. What? The guardsmen of the walls took away my shawl from me. Do you remember what happened last time she talked to the watchmen? Last time she talked to the watchman, immediately following the watchman, she finds him. Because he had told her to talk to the watchman. Remember? He had told her, if you don't know, most beloved, most beautiful of women, go and talk to my friends. And they'll lead you to me, is, is basically what he said. And so she said she does that. Back then, it worked. This time, she talks to the watchman, and they beat the crap out of her. You want to know why? Because they're humans. And humans don't know how to deal with our stuff. Leadership is going to fail you every time. It's just true. Hopefully it's a long, long, long time before that happens. But eventually they're going to do something that breaks your heart. That's just true. Why? Because they're humans. It's because they're humans. They're not, I'm not saying they're going to try. Some of them are. Some of them are going to try. And some of them are going to beat the crap out of you just because they're horrible people. But even good leaders like Nathan and Sophie, there's going to be something that happens at some point along the way that is going to break your heart. Why? Because they're human beings. There's going to be a day when she's cranky or he's upset about something else and they're going to say something to you in anger. And hopefully they're going to come back to you later and apologize. But they're going to do it because they're humans. And that's the way humans are. Humans hurt people. She's already struggling, and she runs into the watchman, and the watchman beat her. They abuse her because they're human beings. 
It's not okay that they abused her, but it's true. So she goes to do what she did last time that actually worked last time to get her to Jesus, and it ends in pain. The very ones who were supposed to lead her to him abuse her. They wound her. They were abusive and hurtful. And then they, ta- they took away her shawl. They left her exposed and embarrassed. She's already feeling guilty and ashamed because of her failure to answer the call when he gave it to her the first time. And now the watchmen themselves beat her and steal her shawl. That with her covering. They took her covering away. This sucks. But wait, verse 8, I adjure you, daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, as to what you tell him, I am lovesick. Do you hear that? Is she ticked off? No. Does she blame him? No. Is she mad at him? Is she going, you run off and left me and the two guys beat the crap out of me and I don't want to be with you anymore? No. She says, if you find him, tell him. I'm lovesick. I'm lovesick. She could have been offended. She could have been angry. She could have turned. That's what a lot of us would do if we walked through a situation like what she's just walked through. A lot of us would blame him. But this time she understands that this situation was exactly like the last. Ah, it was me. And it wasn't him. And all I want is him. And here's the question, my friends. When hard times come, are you going to be offended or are you going to be lovesick? When difficulties happen, and they are going to happen. When things that you do not understand come along, and they are going to come along. When hard times, crushing times come along, are you going to be offended, or are you going to be lovesick? If you want to know how to know for sure that you will respond correctly, you have to receive what he said to you in in chapter 4. You have to believe. Remember what she said? Come north wind, come south wind. I'm going to be delightful to you. She got it. She understood it. And it was it had gone deep in her soul that he was delighted with her. So she knew that what she was going through was not from him. So when difficult times came, she didn't respond with offense because she knew that he was not the one doing this to her. She knew the distance was her distance. She got it. She understood it. And the minute she says that, I love this. Look at the response of the, of the church. Look at the response of the daughters of Jerusalem. These are the church. Look at what they do. When she responds to adversity with lovesickness and not with offense, look what they do. What kind of beloved is your beloved? Oh, most beautiful among women. They find her attractive and they're blown away by her passion for him when she's lying in a gutter uncovered and exposed and, 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 and beaten and she says, I'm lovesick. They're like, how can you say that? 
That's what they said, that you thus adjure us. How could you say that to us? Look at the way he's left you. What kind of man is he? And she says, my beloved is dazzling and ruddy. Ruddy means that he, he's blushing. He's, he's so passionate that his face is full of blood, okay? Like, you know, like when you blush, okay? It's like that. It also happens uh, in times of arousal where your face turns red. That's what she's saying. She goes, "Not he's dazzling and he, and he wants me. If she had, she made a decision in the moment of difficulty, in the moment of, of stress, in the moment of where her life seemed to be coming apart at the seams, she says, he wants me. She could have interpreted this as a rejection and she refused. How many times have you walked through a difficult time and you think God is punishing me? How many times have you made a big mistake and you think God has left me behind, he doesn't want me anymore? She says it right here. He is dazzling, but he's ruddy. His, his face is flushed because he desires me. She refuses to believe the circumstance over what she already knows of, of the heart of the lover. She will not believe that he doesn't want her. She will not believe that he's rejected her. She will not believe that he has put this upon her. She has walked, she's walked through this time of difficulty and she says, I'm lovesick. I still want him, and he still wants me. Oh, I love it. Outstanding among 10,000, she says. The other thing that Christians do a lot of times when we run into times of difficulty is we run to medicate. We pull out the gallon of ice cream. We go to the porn site. We drink alcohol. We walk away from the church and get involved with people or whatever that aren't a part of the church. We all, we medicate, we find some other way to make us feel better. She says, no, 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 there's nobody like him. He's outstanding among 10,000. I'm not going to look anywhere else for the satisfaction in the, that I need. I want him. Outstanding among 10,000. His eyes are like doves. Listen to her. Oh, I love her. She's so great. His eyes are like doves. He's been saying that over her this whole time, that you're single-minded in your pursuit of me. And she says now, he is single-minded in pursuit of me. She gets it. It's clicked in her spirit. And it doesn't matter what comes. She's standing in the place where she knows in the depth of who she is. He wants me. Oh, I love it. You're doing so good, Shulamite. His cheeks are a bed of balsam, banks of sweet-scented herbs. His lips are lilies dripping with liquid myrrh. His emotions are deeply satisfying. That's cheeks speak of the emotions. His emotions are deeply satisfying. His word is the delight of my heart. Oh, my gosh. She loves him. Her passion for him has carried her right through all of this stuff. She says, his hands are rods of gold set with barrel. His abdomen is carved ivory inlaid with sapphires. His actions and his motives and his emotions are precious to her. 
He also apparently has a farmer's tan. Well, his arms are gold, but his chest is ivory. So, I mean, come on. But she likes that about it. She likes his farmer's tan. Guys, if you can get a woman that likes your farmer tan, you need to marry that woman. <laughs> his legs are pillars of alabaster set on pedestals of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars. He's swift and powerful. He's immovable, unchangeable, sturdy and strong. He's majestic and mysterious and deeply alluring. Oh, she loves him. His mouth is full of sweetness, and he is wholly desirable. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. His mouth is full of sweetness, the word. What is she saying again? Come and kiss me. His mouth is full of sweetness. He is wholly desirable. Some, some translations say all together. Lovely. I love that phrase. He is altogether lovely, wholly desirable. I'm sure it is. Okay. That's not Michael W. Smith, by the way. That's, that's Tim Hughes. And, why, why should... He is altogether lovely. Everything about him is desirable. Everything about him, it stirs my heart. Everything about him, I want every, every inch, every ounce of him I want. Do you feel this way about Jesus? Can you say these kind of things about him? When I read, I love to read people that are just disgustingly in love with Jesus. St. John of the Cross is one of my favorites. He says things like, I've had experiences with God so delicious that it makes me blush to even recall them. And I'm like, ooh, I want that. <laughs> it's almost, I mean, when you hear somebody say, God is delicious, you're like, that's a little dirty. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to say that. I want to just be like, oh, you're so delightful. I love you. Oh, I love you. It was so funny because last week uh, we do, there's prayer meetings at my church in Fremont on Thursday evenings. And I was, I went to the prayer meeting. When I got there, there's nobody there. And I just wanted to, I wanted some Jesus right then. So I just went up on stage and grabbed my guitar and sat down on a stool and just went another place with God. Just, yeah, got completely lost in his gorgeousness oh man i i i i did and i i looked down at my ipad which is what i was using for, and it had been an hour and a half and i wasn't really aware of that it's like oh it's been an hour and a half and i look out there and there's people <laughs> and they've been in the room kind of intruding on my personal alone time with jesus you know which i i i Figured that would probably happen, but I had—I I was not aware really of the fact that they were around, and so I just kept on to the end of the prayer time and uh, and and worshiping. And, and at the end, I was just like, "Well, hey guys, thanks for thanks for coming and whatever." And one of the ladies was like, "You didn't even know we were here." <laughs> I was like, "That's pretty true." It's like, "Yeah, you were in a zone." 
It's like, I was, because I was, because he's so delightful. Come on, can you say this about him? Do you feel this way about him? Oh, I want you to feel this way about him. I want you to, I want you to be just like walking down the street or, or just going about your day and all of a sudden go, I need Jesus. And just like stop what you're doing and just go do something and go get in, you know, I just, you know, you know how you're like just be in the midst of something and you go, man, I'm hungry. I want you to, I want that to happen with your desire for the Lord. I remember when my wife was pregnant, um, she, she got out of bed. Really, it was like four in the morning. And my wife does not get out of bed, ever. Like, she's, sleep is beyond precious for my wife. Like, it is, it's, I can't even tell you. Sleep is, sleep is one of the most important things in her life. It's just a dream. But anyway, but she got up at like four o'clock in the morning and, and it woke me up and I'm like, what's going on? And so I walked out into the kitchen and she was there. She was making herself a sandwich or something. And I said, why are you up? She said, I was too hungry to stay asleep. And the Holy Spirit said, when are you going to say that about me? That I was too hungry to stay asleep. And I was like, ah! <laughs> I said, I'll talk about it in the morning when I wake up. <laughs> right? Because it was like, it's four in the morning, you know. But that that just jarred me. Oh, man, I was just too hungry to, because, you know, she was at that stage in the pregnancy where, you know, the baby was like eat, taking all of her nutrients and she had, she just had to get up and eat like right then. And I'm like, man, I want my hunger for God to wake me up in the middle of the night. I want my hunger for God to interrupt my day. I want to have to be like, you know what? I'm not doing anything else today. I'm canceling all my other appointments because I'm, I have to spend time in his presence. That's, that's what I, and I want to be able to say these things about him. Oh, he's all together lovely. Oh, I love it. I, I think I really did scare Jared a lot in our drive home from Sam Jones's wedding. Um, because we were listening to the new Bethel album. It's the first time I listened through it. Okay. And, and we're driving and the presence of God just was, just kept like, just gently rising in the car. And I just gave over to total surrender to the presence. And I was just like, Oh, I love you. you know, and, and I didn't care that he was in the car. It didn't make any difference to me at all. And, and I was just enjoying Jesus, but I was driving. <laughs> And later on, he was like, he was like, I was really worried there for a minute. I didn't know if we were going to stay on the road or what was going to happen. I remember once I was driving back from Cedar Point and there was a friend and I in the car. And and, uh, and I used to get, back in the day, I used to get monthly excerpts from the prayer room in the house of prayer. They would like put together like the highlights from that month, like highlight special songs or whatever from that month. And they would just send them to you. Um as a download and you could go download them. I looked forward to them all the time. And I, I had downloaded and burned this one to a CD, but I had not listened to it. And on it was a 17 minute song by Missy Edwards. And I was like, I said to my friend, and we were driving back. I said to him, I said, on this, there's a 17 minute song by Missy Edwards. And he was like, what? I said, yeah, I, I mean, they wouldn't let it go for 17 minutes unless it was insane. And he was like, put it in. So we put it in and we're listening to the rest. And we finally get to that song and we had to pull off the road and just be like, Ooh! 
<laughs> for like a good maybe 15, 20 minutes. We just finally get ourselves pulled back together after that song. As it was, it was Misty. She was singing "Sound the Alarm." I don't know if you guys are. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Oh, she's like, "Sound the alarm! Sound the alarm!" And I'm just like, "Woo!" Anyway, it was uh, it was over. Anyway, and then she went into the "I can feel the rhythm." It's the first time I'd ever heard that. I'd never heard that ever until this. Well, it wasn't out on an album at the time. This was like one of the first times she'd ever done it. Years yeah, 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 years and years ago. They don't even do that anymore, like with the, the monthly releases. You've never heard of it's, it's the people get ready, Jesus is coming, people get ready. He's not a baby in a manger anymore. He's not a broken man on a cross. He didn't stay in the grave. He's not staying in heaven forever. Oh my gosh. Okay, well, see. Actually, Nathan can corroborate this story. He may not even remember it. But the next day was Sunday, and we were having a small group, a guy's small group at my house. And at the end of the small group, I said, okay, guys, we have like 20 minutes left. And I, I put this CD in it, played that song. <laughs> and all of the guys were like just laying on the ground, just like, oh. It was awesome. <laughs> That's how you end a small group right there. It was pretty cool. Okay. She says, where is your beloved gone? But this wasn't the album version. This was an in the prayer room version where she went off and started prophesying. She's like, eat the scroll. It was crazy. It was nuts. And it was just, yeah, it's from the book of Revelation. Eat the scroll. Maybe we should have studied Revelation these last couple of weeks. But it's eat the the scroll is from the book of Revelation. We're not going to get there. We have one more time together. Hey, if we are, nobody told me. Tomorrow? Hey, you guys talk to Nathan and Sophie and set it up. I'm in. Nathan! We'll, we'll do the all day. We will plow through the, the end time stuff. It'll be fun. Okay. Let's finish this and then we'll be done. We got to go through verse five. I just want to read the very last line. The very last line. Okay, so after she says that, after she does this description, she he says she said the the friends say, "Where is your beloved gone?" And she tells them, "My beloved has gone down to his garden to the beds of." And she remembers what she asked the Holy Spirit was to bring him to the place of encounter. So she's going back there because she knows that's where he's going to be. And she goes there and she meets with him. And he says, you're as beautiful as Tisra, my darling, as lovely as Jerusalem, as awesome as an army with banners. Woo! See, he sees now and he's telling her, now, now you are, you're fierce and you're powerful. And you've walked through this fire and you have only gotten better. I love it. And verse 5, this line right here, he says to her, turn your eyes away from me. For they overwhelm me. They overwhelm me. Turn your eyes from me, for they overwhelm me. He isn't saying, I don't want to see your eyes. He's saying, if I continue to look into your eyes, I'm going to lose all control. Like I, He has no ability 
to like, like she's moving him. She's not just making his heartbeat faster anymore. Now he's overwhelmed by her love for him. Do you get this? I have in my notes, this blows my circuits. Because it does. If you think about it for a minute, Jesus is overwhelmed by my love for him. In this place where she has kept saying yes all the way through one of the darkest moments of her life, she looks at him and he says, oh, I can't handle it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness. My beautiful Jesus, you are altogether lovely. There's nothing I want more than for my friends in this room to know how altogether lovely you are. I ask, beautiful one, that you will encounter them in such a way that they will be overwhelmed by your beauty, that they will be overwhelmed by how satisfying you are, by how glorious you are, that they would say, you are delicious, you are glorious, you are, that they would be overwhelmed by you, that they would be overcome by love for you. And Lord, that it would, that that place would be given to them so that when the dark times come, they will say with confidence, you still desire me. That they will say with confidence, you still enjoy me. That when the darkest moments, they won't turn and be offended with you, but they will say with everything inside of them, I am lovesick. I pray over them from Ephesians that they would be rooted and grounded in love. That they would know the height and the width and the depth and the greatness of your great love. The, 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 all the dimensions, every ounce of your love, that they would come to understand it together with all the saints. Lord, give us the ability to say, no matter what's going on in our life, you love us. And we know it. And we love you. Pray that we would know in the depths of who we are that our eyes overwhelm you. Pray that we would believe that we make your heart beat faster. In Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>